Good morning, church family. I'm going to read Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to the young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant said, who was in charge of the reapers, answered, She's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one. But keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes? that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your mother and your father and your native land and came to people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. And she said, I've found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsels in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her toasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied and even had some left over. And then when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. And so she gleaned in the field until evening. She beat out what she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it and went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law, with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has has not forsaken the living or the dead. 
Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth, the Moabite, said, Besides this, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all of my harvest. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go with his young women, lest in another field you may be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaned until the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, and lived with her mother-in-law. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again, church. We are in this short series, the book of Ruth. Ruth, a redemption story. Let me get the title. Guys, can we get the title picture? Do we have? There we go. Ruth, a redemption story. We love redemption stories, don't we? Who doesn't love a story of somebody who's down and out, an outcast, the nobody, the, you know, the loser, and, and they make it, and they change? I saw a headline yesterday, Grayson Allen's Redemption Story. Does anybody know who Grayson Allen is? If you're a sports fan, he was a basketball player at Duke University, and he was like the bad boy of Duke, and he had this reputation for being a whiner and a fighter, and he would trip other players, and everybody kind of hated his guts. He was that player that you just loved to hate on the Duke Blue Devils. Now he's in the NBA on the Memphis Grizzlies, and everybody loves him. He's a hard-working player, contributes to the team, no problems. Grayson Allen's redemption story, that was the headline. He's made it. He's changed. He's a better man. We love that, don't we? We need that, don't we? We need that. If we're honest, we all need to realize we all need a redemption story for our own lives. The Bible starts in Genesis 3 with the, with the fall of man, and we're all, we're all born into sin. We're all born into disgrace and shame. And God promises a redeemer right off the bat. Genesis 3.15, I'm going to send you a redeemer, someone who will turn this around, someone who will save you, someone that will change you. Listen, people don't just, they don't just, Grayson Allen doesn't just change, does he? He didn't wake up one morning and say, you know, I'm tired of being the bad boy of basketball. Now I'm going to do it right. I'm going to play fair and square. No, people change because somebody Somebody gives them a chance. Somebody shows some compassion. Somebody says, yep, I know your past, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you on my team anyway. I'm going to give you a second chance, a third chance, a fifth chance, a one hundredth chance. And God is the God of second chances. Countless second chances is what God is the God of, isn't he? He's the God of redemption. He's the God of turning it around. Ruth chapter 2 is a story of redemption. Her redemption, I want you to understand something very important. Ruth's redemption is happening even before she meets Boaz. Ruth has already attached her life to her Redeemer. And his name is not Boaz. His name is Yahweh. In chapter 1, she attached her life to the God of Naomi, didn't she? Your God will be my God. Pastor Mark said this is her, her conversion. 
So Ruth has already attached her life to the ultimate Redeemer. Boaz notices that in our chapter today, doesn't he? He says, you have placed your life under the, you are under the refuge of God's wing. That's how he describes her. Boaz is just a picture, isn't he? He's just a little picture. But Ruth has already begun her redemption story. She's chosen to live within God's redeeming love and faithfulness. Have you? Have you made that choice? Have you said, God, you're my God. I am betting on God. <laughs> I'm putting all my eggs in the God basket. I'm, I'm, laying out, I'm laying out all my chips, and I'm betting on Yahweh. I'm betting on Jesus. That's where I'm putting everything. Is God your redemption story this morning? And so we're going to go through um, this chapter together. And we're going to look at how we have to receive God's redeeming love. We'll focus on Ruth. And then I want to talk to you about how we share God's redeeming love. We'll focus on Boaz. And then number three, we need to trust our Redeemer. We'll focus on Jesus. And of course, we'll focus on Jesus the whole way through, won't we? So here we go. Number, here's, here's our title, Gleaning in the Field of God's Love. That's, the, that's my very creative title that I came up with. I'm very proud of it. Gleaning in the field of God's love. I spent all week working on that. <laughs> I hope you like it. It's going away. Number one, receive God's redeeming love. Receive God's redeeming love. This is what Ruth has done. You know, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Come to my field. Come to my field. Are you tired? Are you tired this morning? Are you tired of, of pinching and scrimping? Looking for love in all the wrong places? Jesus is saying, come to my field. Take my yoke. It's an easy yoke. Join me, because I'm gentle, I'm humble, I'm compassionate, and you will find rest. That's what Ruth has chosen to do. That's what she's chosen to do, to trust her, her life to the providential provision of God. She's trusting her life to the providential provision of God. There's no miracles in Ruth but there's also no coincidences. And that's, that might be true of your life too, right? Not a lot of miracles going on in my life. It feels that way, but I'll tell you what, there's also no coincidences, is there? God is in control. God is moving Ruth to where she needs to be. And that's what we see in chapter 2. In chapter 2, the narrator starts us out with a little bit of hope. Naomi and Ruth aren't hearing verse 1. Only you and I are hearing verse 1. Naomi has a relative. His name is Boaz. Ah, as the reader, now we're seeing where the story will go. The narrator is giving us a little bit of hope. Ruth, verse 2, the Moabite says to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And Naomi said to her, Go, daughter. 
Two words, go, daughter. Naomi is paralyzed. Naomi is paralyzed. Naomi's not moving. Whatever. Mom, I'm going to go glean and hopefully find some grace. <laughs> okay. Go ahead. You do you. We don't know why. I mean, for all we know, Naomi should be out there with her, right? Na- why isn't Naomi going? Why isn't Naomi doing any work? I don't know. It doesn't say. <laughs> I can guess. I don't think she's that old. She could be out there working, but she decides, I'm staying home. She's paralyzed by her fear. But not Ruth. Ruth is not passive. Ruth is resting in the care of God. And so she moves. She risks. She's courageous. Christian, sometimes you got to keep moving, don't you? Sometimes you got to get up and take a step. The depression is there. The anxiety is there. I get it. I've been there. But sometimes you got to roll yourself out of the bed and you got to say, I'm going to trust God today and I'm going to do one little thing today. Even if I just do one little thing. I went through a bout of, of depression a couple years ago through the winter. I remember sitting with Pastor Mark in the office right back here and his advice to me, and, and I, was, I was bemoaning how I wasn't doing anything, wasn't accomplishing anything, wasn't getting anything big done for the kingdom. And you know what his advice was to me? Just do one little thing, Brady. Just be faithful. Did you talk to anybody today? Did you do anything? That, yeah, I did. Okay. That's enough. Christian, sometimes you got to just keep moving. Sometimes you got to take a risk. Sometimes you got to say, okay, God, I'm not finding grace in this house. <laughs> Naomi's not shoveling a lot of grace my way. I, I'm going to go find grace. I'm going to go find grace. And the text says, verse 3, so she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It literally says she chanced upon, literally, literally, in Hebrew it says, her chance chanced her into the field of Boaz. <laughs> now listen, you know what the author's doing? By putting chance and chance side by side, he's saying there's no such thing as chance. He's saying she took a chance, she walked out of the house saying, let me take a chance, I'm going to go take a chance, maybe I'll find some grace today. And her chance chanced her into the field of Boaz. <laughs> She moved and God responded. She moved and God met her with future grace, didn't he? God made sure she landed in the field of Boaz. You see, sometimes as Christians, we're waiting for God to tell us what to do. God guide, we think God guides us by telling us what to do. You know how God guides you, Christian? You move and then God takes your movements and guides you through those movements, doesn't he? He changes you through those movements sometimes, doesn't he? Sometimes God will tell you which door to go through. He will. Sometimes he'll say door A, not door B. But most of the time, God is saying, I'm not telling you door A or door B, just do something. Just move. And when you move, I will be there. And I will be changing you. And I will be transforming you. What chance do you need to take today, Christian? Who do you need to take a chance on? What neighbor do you need to walk across the street to? What person in the office do you need to have a conversation with? Who do you need to take a chance on forgiving? Who do you need to take a chance on writing that note to that you haven't talked to in years? Sending that email to that you haven't, haven't reached out to in a long time? 
Oh, Brady, they're not going to listen. They're not going to change. They're not going to do anything. How do you know? Maybe God will meet you in that field. It is the barley harvest, right? It's the barley harvest. So who knows what will happen? Take a chance. Be courageous. Reach out. Move toward, not away. Ruth is risking everything. I want, to, I want to make sure we understand the risk, the deep courage of this woman. I want us to see this. She sets out alone from her house to go glean in a field. So let me, let me just explain. Here's the situation. The law of God says, you know, the, the, the Old Testament Torah law of God says that as a rich person, I own a field, and I glean, and I harvest my field, and I leave the edges, I leave the corners unharvested, and I leave what gets dropped on the ground, I leave it alone, and then the poor can come, and they can glean in my glean field. So day one, I'm out there, I got my workers, 10, 20, 30, 100 workers, who knows how many workers Boaz has got, and we are in that field, and we're harvesting that field. And now we're out of that field and we've moved from the glean field and we've moved into the next field. I'm going to call it the gather field. I'm going to call them the glean field and the gather field. So the glean field is now left. This is where the poor are allowed to go. They don't have to ask, they're just allowed. This is danger. This especially a foreign woman alone going into the glean field is a recipe for disaster. She will be abused. She will be attacked. At the very least, whatever she picks up is going to be stolen. It's dangerous. I want you to understand, Ruth did not go to the glean field. Look at verse 7, 6 and 7. When Boaz shows up and he, asks, and, he, and he sees her and he says, who, is that, who does that woman belong to? And his foreman, his manager, starts talking we gain some very important information in verses 6 and 7. She's the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. We'll talk about that later, how he labels her. Verse 7. Now, this is, the, this is the foreman describing Ruth. Ruth said, she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she's continued from early morning to now, except for a short rest. I want you to understand that the foreman is not complimenting Ruth here. He's belittling her. This woman has the audacity to not go to the glean field. She's come to the gather field. She's, she came here. She has stood here. The Hebrew verbs are literally, she came and she stood. And she stood from morning until now except for a little bit of time when she went into the shelter. That's what it says. So she came and she, and she asked. She asked for something, didn't she? She said, let me gather amongst the reapers and the sheaves. Do you see where she is? See, in the glean field, there's not sheaves. The, harvest, the male harvesters come in first. It's back-breaking work. But they got their sickle, they're chopping. They're chopping, they're chopping, they're chopping. The female workers come in after. They gather, they wrap it up, it's a sheave. You with me? Drop the sheave, move on. Drop the sheave, move on. Then we all come back at the end, we gather up all the sheaves, and we take them and we thresh it. We beat it, we beat it, and we thresh it. That's a day. That's a hard day. That's a day of work. 
Ruth comes. She's not going to the glean field. She's going to the gather field. She's saying, let me work with your workers. Let me work in the sheaves. What? Let me, I want you to understand, this is an audacious, <laughs> gutsy, bold request. You see what Ruth's saying? She's saying, I don't want the scraps of the law. I know what the law says. The law says I can go to the glean field. And I don't even have to ask. But I want favor. Verse 2, she sought out, she left seeking favor. Did you see it? Maybe I'll find someone who will give me faith. Grace! It's the same word as grace. Maybe I'll find some grace today. So she goes, she chances, she just happens to go into the field of Boaz. Will she find grace? Will she find favor? She already has, hasn't she? Because she's under the refuge of God. She's under the wing of God. And so Boaz shows up, and Boaz begins to pour out upon her abundant grace and mercy. We can imagine what ha what's happened. Ruth has gone there. She's met the foreman. She's asked this, this crazy request, and he said, no, please, no, please, no, please, right? That's probably gone on all morning. When's the, where's the boss? He's not here yet. He's coming. Maybe he's coming. I don't know. I don't know his schedule. Maybe he'll be here. I'll wait for the boss. So then she probably goes into the shelter where she starts to be harassed by the male workers so that just, it just so happens that Boaz rides in and Boaz comes up and says, who's this? And then Boaz begins to say to her, because you know what the foreman's thinking? The foreman's thinking, man, when Boaz gets here, then she's going to get it. Because you know what? He's a man of law. And as a good man of law, he's going to send her to the glean field where she belongs. But then Boaz rides in, and you know what Boaz is? He's not a, just a man of law, he's a man of love. Chesed. I'm not talking romantic love, I'm talking God's loyal, faithful love. The kind of love that says, this is how you treat the poor and despondent. This is what you do for somebody who's low and an outcast. And so Boaz comes in, and he be immediately becomes her benefactor, doesn't he? He immediately begins to shower favor upon her. Verse 8, Boaz says to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, don't go and glean in another field. Don't leave this one. Keep close to my women. Verse 9, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? Which means she just heard him do it. He, he walked into the shelter, saw them messing with her, and he, knock it off. We're not messing with her. Haven't, Ruth, you heard me say it, right? Yeah, yes, yes, I heard you say it. <laughs> Have not I charged them not to mess with you? Touch you is literally the word for sexual touching. I have told them not to touch you in an inappropriate way. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels, drink what the young men have drawn. By the way, that right there, that's a radical statement. We all know that the women draw the water and give it to the men. Right? Genesis taught us that. Jesus and the woman at the well teach us that. Hey, woman, give me a drink. Women draw water and give to men. And Boaz says, you know what, you know what Ruth? You're going to drink the water that the men draw. What? 
That doesn't happen. She falls on her face and she receives the grace. Verse 10. Gather in my field. Cling to my workers. You get the best. You get protection. We're going to serve you. And then in a little bit later, eat at my table. Best grain, abundance of grain. She goes home with an ephah of grain. 15 to 20 pounds of grain in one day. If she continues at that clip over the next seven weeks of harvest season, she will easily gather enough food to feed her and Naomi for a year. If Boaz actually, you know, if, if that, and we assume that's what happened. And then Boaz doesn't just become her benefactor, he actually blesses her. Verse 11 and 12. Look at verse 11 and 12. Boaz becomes a priest to her. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. How you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before you. He's heard the story. It's a small town, right? Oh, little town of Bethlehem. So, it, so her story has been spread. Verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Let's understand verse 12. Boaz's blessing over her. The Lord repay you. That word repay is actually from the word shalom. It's salem. That the Lord fill you. The Lord give you fullness. I don't, love, I don't love repay as the English translation. He's basically saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you shalom. Give you peace. Give you fullness. The Lord fill you for what you have done, Ruth. And a full reward, the word full, same word, shalom. A shalom reward. The word reward there is the word for wage. It's only, it's only used in one other place in the Old Testament. Back in Genesis, it's used three times back in Genesis with Jacob and Laban. Do you remember them? Jacob, give me my wages. Laban, I'll give you your wages. My wages are this. No, your wages are that. Remember all that? And they had a big argument, and seven years wage would be, uh, would, would be Rachel, and then seven years, or Leah, and then seven years wage would be Ra all of that mess. Boaz is using that same word, and he's saying, Ruth, you get the wage of shalom. <laughs> you get the wage of grace, the payment of grace. And I know that sounds like, wait, how can grace have a payment? You know how you get the wage of grace? By not wanting the wage of grace. By not wanting a wage. When, you are, when you're in a relationship with God where it's constantly, God, you owe me. I've worked hard for you, God. Now you owe me. Guess what you're not going to have? Peace. Shalom. You will constantly be fighting with God, won't you? But when you are in a relationship with God where you have placed yourself under the wing of God, as Boaz says, then anything God gives you, any wage of grace, if you will, any repayment of grace, you say, what? I don't deserve that. I'm a slave. Which was Ruth's posture, wasn't it? Bowed to the ground, head on the ground, I'm just your slave. So what about you? Are you, are you roofing? Listen, Christian, I'm going I'm to tell you something. Here's what you're allowed to do as a Christian. Here's what you should be doing as a Christian. You should be standing up in front of God, 
with a humble yet audaciously courageous mindset where you stand in front of God and you say, God, I am nothing. I deserve nothing, but I stand in front of you. I have come and I am standing and I want and I need your grace. Give it to me now. That should be what Christians do. Jesus told it this way, keep knocking on the door till they open the door, right? The woman who goes to the judge and, 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 and goes to the judge and goes to the judge, get out of here, lady, get out of here, lady, get out of here, lady. Okay, what do you want? Why? We keep going, we keep going, we keep standing up in front of God and saying, God, I humbly demand your grace. And do you know that that honors God? Because do you know what God loves to do more than anything else? Shower grace upon you. God, I need to know your love. I need to experience your love. God, I need to understand the blessings I have in Christ. God, I need to know it and feel it and live by it. Shower it on me now. That's a prayer you can pray every single day with all the boldness of Ruth. Stand there until, until Jesus shows up. Number two, let's share God's redeeming love. <clears throat> okay, now you're under God's love. You're living in that hesed. You're living in that faithful love. You've put yourself under the sheltering wing of God's love. Now we can start to share it like Boaz, can't we? <clears throat> you see, Boaz knew everything was grace, didn't he? Boaz knew everything is God's. You say, Brady, how do you know that? How do you know that Boaz knows that? His greeting, his very simple greeting back in verse 4. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord Yahweh be with you. And they answered, Yahweh bless you. What does that tell us about Boaz? Now maybe it's cliche, granted. Maybe it's all just a cliche that he throws out the way we do when we talk about God. God is good all the time. God bless you, right? We, we throw out the cliches. Or maybe this guy's life will actually back up what he's saying and he actually believes that he is under the blessing of God. Maybe he actually understands that everything he has is because of God. You see, when you know that all is, all is God's, that everything you have, you have only because of God and his grace, that frees you up to then give it all away to everybody else, right? When you know you have all the love in the universe, you have all the love of the creator God flowing into you, and yet you withhold that love, even from an enemy, do you really know that you have the love of God? Do you really trust the love of God? If you can't give it away, do you really trust it? But Boaz trusts it. What about you? Has your heart been captured by God's faithful love for you? Are you free to share all that is yours like Boaz did? Praise God, Boaz is a Micah 6-8 kind of guy. He does justice, he loves chesed, he loves love, and he walks humbly with his God, doesn't he? Thank you, God, for taking Ruth to that field. What about us? Will we only do the bare minimum? Will we send the people in our lives to the glean field? Get back to the glean field, Ruth. Come on. Get back where you belong. You can have my scraps. You can have my leftovers. 
You can have the stuff that the workers left behind because it just wasn't ripe enough or good enough. You can have that. Or will you be the kind of person that invites somebody into your life to harvest the abundance of the faithfulness of God in your life? Will you be a person of law or a person of love? Boaz said, no, Ruth, stay in my gather field. Pick up amongst the sheaves. You know what the sheaves are? They're the best. That's the best. That's what we're taking home to thresh. Ruth, you can have that. Jesus said our love for each other is the proof that we are his disciples, didn't he? Okay, I want to I branch out here for a second as we're thinking about how we can respond to others in love. And I want to just hit on four areas from Ruth 2, four applications that I think we can glean, pun intended, <laughs> from Ruth 2. The immigrant, the woman, the widow, and food. I want to talk about those four things, and I'm going to do it really quick, and I'm not going to do any of them justice, but I just want to share a couple thoughts about each of these four things from Ruth 2 that we can maybe apply. Listen, when it comes to the immigrant, the immigrant in America, let's say, listen, I get it, it's complicated. U.S. immigration policy is complicated, and I think we can all agree that it needs to be more efficient and more effective, and hopefully we all agree it needs to be more compassionate, right? We can agree to disagree on the, on the United States immigration policies, can't we? But here is what we cannot disagree on. We must all agree that God loves immigrants, Deuteronomy 10, I could, have, I, could have, I could read you 100 verses, not 100, but I could read you dozens of verses. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. He is not partial and he doesn't take a bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. We have to agree that xenophobia is a sin. It is a darkness in our hearts. And, and Christ commands us to xenophilia, love of stranger. In your English Bible, it's the word hospitality. When Romans 12 says, practice hospitality, do you know what the Greek word is? Xenophilia, love of the immigrant, love of the foreigner, Love of the stranger. We have to agree. In chapter 2, verse 6, the foreman, he calls, he, he, who's this, who is this woman, Boaz says? And the servant who is in charge says, she's the Moabite woman from Moab. Ouch! Those Mexicans from Mexico. Those Egyptians from Egypt. Those foreigners from foreign place. That's what he's saying. She's that Moabite from Moab. The cursed place. The bad place. She's from the bad place. She's cursed. Deuteronomy said she's cursed. Boaz, get rid of her. Not only that, she's audacious. She's, she's entitled. She's trying to take our jobs. She's trying to take grain out of the mouths of the Hebrew women. 
Boaz, get rid of her. And you know what Boaz does? He honors her character. In chapter 3, he's going to call her a mighty woman of character. He uses the same language, in verse 11, he uses the same language about her that's used of Abraham. He compares her to his forefather. And then he welcomes, by, by the middle of the day, they're eating lunch together. <laughs> Come, sit at my table, dip your bread in my wine, eat my roasted corn, my roasted grain. What about you? What about me? How do we look at immigrants? How do we look at the stranger? Hey, I want to remind you of something real quick. Who's Boaz's mom? Rahab. According to Matthew's genealogy, Boaz's mom is Rahab. So he knows a little bit about an outcast foreign woman, doesn't he? Maybe that's where the compassion in his heart comes from, isn't it? Number two, women. The Bible tells us story after story about the sad history of the objectification and abuse of women. From Genesis 6, the sons of men and the, da- the sons of God and the daughters of men. Abraham with Sarah and Hagar. Lot with his daughters. Isaac with his wife. The book of Judges. The, the, the companion book to Ruth. The last time we saw a man from Bethlehem was Judges 19, which is one of the most gruesome, terrible chapters in your whole Bible. About a terrible thing that happened to a woman. David, Solomon, on and on. The Bible is full of stories of men abusing women. Boaz stands out. (laughs) He is this little bright light amongst this dark storyline, isn't he? Where this man comes along and actually treats a woman equally, elevating her, honoring her, respecting her, protecting her, serving her. He literally served her lunch. Christians, we have to create places of safety and dignity. Christian men, we have to create places of safety and dignity for women. We have to look at women and call them what God calls them. What does does Boaz call Ruth? Daughter. Daughter. Did you catch it? Men, we have got to start by looking at women as sister in Christ, daughter of God, family member, to be honored and respected. And men, we have to hold each other accountable on this. Christian, the Christian church, Christian evangelicalism has told young men, stop, here's how you overcome the objectification of women. Here's how you overcome lust. Stop looking at women. Every man's battle, right? Every man's battle. Here's what you do. You just stop looking at them. That's not the answer. Do you know what the answer is, guys? Look at women correctly. Look at them as sister, as daughter, as child of God. That will change your heart. Otherwise, you're just changing behaviors. Change of the heart. Number three, widows. Just a reminder that God loves widows. God cares deeply about widows. Psalm 68 says that God is the protector of widows. Jesus said, woe to you who devour widows' houses. 
James says, true religion is this, religion that takes, a church that takes care of widows. The whole office of deacon was created over widow care. I know I'm preaching to the choir. We do a pretty good job in this church of, of taking care, care and looking out for our widows. Is there room for improvement? Always. Is there room for improvement as, for you as an individual? Of course. But just a reminder, God loves widows. In 1 Timothy 5, Paul tells Timothy that if a widow has family members who can care for them, children and grandchildren, that they should do it. The church, the church is not the first line of help for those widows. So let me just say, I have personally been so encouraged, I'm not going to name names, but there are so many of you in this church that I have seen and talked to and counseled with you caring for your elderly parents, your widowed mothers, your widowed fathers. And I'm proud of you, church. I see you doing that. I see you doing that. Let me just encourage you to continue to do it. That is the command of the Lord to us. That is the children. I, I am the son of a widow. The Lord commands me to take care of my mom. And it commands the church to come alongside. And if it's not a financial need, maybe it's an emotional need, isn't it? That we need to meet. And then number four, food. Food reclamation. Did you know that 15% of Americans today are food insecure? Meaning... They're not sure they have enough food. Hundreds, thousands, hundreds of thousands of families in America aren't sure if their food will last until the end of the month when they get paid again. Did you know that one out of every ten human beings today won't eat a single thing? God wants us to practice modern-day gleaning. The regathering of food and the distributing it to those in need. And I want you to know, I don't know if all of you know this in, in Grace Baptist Church, we have recently started a food reclamation ministry here at Grace Baptist Church. We're working with a group called Celestial Manna. They're a local organization that goes to restaurants and grocery stores and takes food that would normally go in the dumpster and they gather it up and they box it up and they hand it out to people who need help. Church, that's an amazing thing. That's a Ruth 2 thing. It's a little picture of the gospel, isn't it? It's a redemption story. Keep up the good work. I'm proud of you, church, and I'm proud of all of you that have already begun to volunteer. And then number three, we're under, we've placed ourselves we're receiving the grace of God, the love of God. I am under the hasad of God. I'm in the covenant of God. And now I'm sharing it with others. I'm ruthing. I'm boazing. How do I do it, Brady? How do I continue to do this? I trust my Redeemer, Jesus, don't I? Naomi and Ruth need a Redeemer. Not just a husband. Listen, not just a husband. You see, when you married somebody, if you're a guy and you marry a woman back then, you actually get paid. <laughs> right? You get paid, literally. The bride's family gives you money or gives you a cow or something. Here, take my daughter and this cow. Have a good life. They don't need a husband. Naomi says, that man is one of our near relatives. He is our goel. 
our Redeemer. To be a Redeemer is costly. We're going to see that in chapter 4. The guy who could be the Redeemer is like, no, (laughs) I'm not doing it. That'll wipe me out. Because a Redeemer, according to Old Testament law, the Redeemer does three things. Number one, he buys you out of slavery. If you're a slave, he buys you out of slavery. That's costly. Number two, he buys your land. If you're so poor and in debt that your land would get sold off to another family, the kinsman redeemer, the close relative redeemer, is supposed to buy your land and keep it in the family, keep the inheritance in your family. That's expensive. And then number three, he's supposed to marry you and produce offspring with you. Well, that's emotionally expensive, isn't it? That's, that's a crisis right there. How can Boaz fit the bill? First of all, a redeemer's got to be worthy. He's got to be a good guy. <laughs> Number two, he's got to be rich. He's got to be wealthy. He's got to be worthy and he's got to be wealthy. But you know what he has to be most of all? Willing. He's got to be willing. He's got to want to do it. You see, church, we need a Redeemer too, don't we? We're in slavery to sin. Ruth bows before Boaz and says, I am your slave. Literally, she uses the word for a woman that's the lowest word you could have. I am your slave girl. Christian, you were a slave to sin, weren't you? Christian, you, you, you weren't in the land of promise, were you? You weren't living in the land of God's love. You weren't rooted and built up in the grace of Christ. You had no inheritance. This life was all there was. Until your worthy, wealthy, and willing Redeemer came along and said, I can do it, and I want to do it. I can save you, and I want to save you. I got the money for it. I got the riches. I got all the riches of the universe. I can afford it. I got the character for it. And I got the love for it. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Redeemer who saw you the way Boaz saw Ruth. Jesus is the Redeemer who said, You are child, you are daughter. You are son. Jesus is the Redeemer who said, stick with my people. Stick with my people. Jesus is the Redeemer that said, I'm going to give you everything that's mine. Harvest in my field. And I'm going to make it easy. My yoke is easy. You're not going to be pinching little pieces of grain out of the dirt I'm dropping sheaves for you. Jesus is the Redeemer who said, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to keep the enemy away. I'm going to surround you with righteousness and love and faithfulness so that when he fires those darts at your heart, they bounce off. Jesus is the Redeemer that serves you. Jesus is the Redeemer that says, come eat at my table. Jesus is the Redeemer that says, take your bread, just like Boaz said to Ruth, 
Take your bread, dip it in the wine. Take your bread, dip it in the wine. Remember the sacrifice of the body and blood of your Redeemer. Eat with me. Stick with me. What's our response to that? How do we respond to that? Ruth's words. Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me. Since I'm a foreigner. I don't get it, God. I don't get it. Why are you taking notice of me? But you don't have to ask me twice to come to the table. You don't have to tell me twice to dip my bread in your wine. That's friendship. That's what God is doing. That's what Boaz is doing for Ruth. He's inviting her to the table of family. He's inviting her to the table of friendship. Let me ask you, we're going we're gonna to take communion here in a second. Is Jesus your Redeemer this morning? Do you see your need? Do you see that you're just a foreigner? Is your, is your attitude towards God, God, you owe me. God, you've never done anything for me. I don't need you. Or is your attitude, why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me. I'm a nobody. I'm a nobody. Have you attached your life to your Redeemer? If not, I ask you to do that this morning. Jesus, I am wicked. I have sinned. I've broken your law. If I was, if I was left under the law, I'd be, I'd be pinching the leftovers out of the mud and the dirt. But I want the sheaves. I want real love, real grace, real goodness. I want a family. I want God to be my family. If you have, if you are a Christian, let's go ahead right now. Let's open this up. Let's take out this, this bread. Let's stand up, not literally, <laughs> in our hearts. Let's stand up like Ruth this morning. And let's humbly and yet audaciously say to God, I need your grace. I'm standing here and I'm not moving till I get it. And you know what God is constantly saying to you? You got it. <laughs> you got it. I see you. I see you standing there. Receive it. Come to my table, dip your bread. Jesus said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's eat. See yourself at the table like Ruth. Can you see it? Can you imagine it? Is it in your mind's eye? Your Redeemer. He hasn't just been nice to you. He hasn't just fulfilled the law for you. He's gone above law fulfillment. Do you understand that, Christian? He's looking at you and he's saying, come, eat with me. Dip your bread into my wine. Base your life on my sacrifice. 
Jesus said, Drink, this is the blood of the new covenant shed for you. You're my daughter. You're my son. You're my friend. Drink. Praise God. Praise God. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. Father, you are the Redeemer. You are our great Goel. You bought us back. Jesus, you are the worthy one. You are the wealthy one. You are the willing one who came, saw us, saw us languishing, saw us struggling, saw our plight, saw that we were just a bunch of Moabites, cursed Moabites. And Jesus, you didn't just throw us under the law. You didn't send us back to the glean field. You welcomed us into your field, rich and full of harvest, the harvest of hesed, the harvest of your love and mercy. Beyond that, you protected us. Beyond that, you gave us in abundance all that is yours. Beyond that, you ask us to sit at your table and feast with you forever based on the sacrifice of your body and blood. Today, we dip our bread into your wine, Jesus. We experience relationship with you, friendship with you, based on what you did first for us. Overwhelm our hearts with this. As we sing, remind us of that great day when we will forever feast in the house of Zion with you, Jesus our Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.